Hey everyone, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where I interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast and help try to get us all a little bit coffee smarter in the process. This is the first episode of the third season of this show. And if you've been with us the entire way, I thank you. If this is your first listen, amazing, I'm glad you're here. Coffee is an incredible drink, and during the last 18 months, it has made such a huge impact on my life. In the early days of the pandemic, I really missed the community of coffee lovers I had known at my favorite local shops. I missed asking baristas and roasters questions. I missed random chats with strangers. I even missed overpaying for avocado toast. But I was still drinking coffee, and I assumed everyone else was too. Maybe, just maybe, I could try to recreate that coffee shop experience in podcast form. I don't know that I've succeeded, but I've been having a blast trying, and I feel incredibly lucky that so many impressive entrepreneurs, coffee professionals, and coffee experts have spent so much time with me, with us. The last two months that this show has been on break have been action-packed but I was definitely feeling that itch to get back to the mic to talk with my guests and to all of you about this drink that seemingly connects us all, including now us and today's guest, Jimmy Silva, the founder and head roaster at Jaunt Coffee Roasters in San Diego. Jaunt was founded in 2018 on the belief that coffee should be a thoughtful experience rather than a mindless necessity. Jimmy and I chat about how he got his start in coffee and what it felt like to take the road less traveled when being confronted with a choice. Take the career job offer in marketing or pursue his new passion for coffee. I'm thinking he made the right choice because three years later, he just received a 95-point score from Coffee Review for his single-origin Ethiopia roast and a 92-pointer on his Kenya roast. If it isn't clear, that is 95 out of 100, and it is pretty damn good. Of course, because this was the first episode of Season 3, There were some internet and technical difficulties, so I recorded the show on my phone, old school style. I'm assuming that means the rest of the season will be technical difficulty free, and despite those tech issues, Jimmy was charming and forthright during the episode, and I think you'll enjoy this chat. If you want to multitask while listening today, check out at Jaunt Coffee Roasters on the Instagram. Plus, be sure to stay tuned after this interview for some coffee vocab. Right now, I hope your coffee mug is full, because it is time for another Roast West Coast Coffee Interview. Testing, testing. All right, that is working. It's not perfect, but it works. What I learned early on was that people care less about the quality. Quality is important, but they care less about it, about the quality of the audio than the quality of the conversation. This is the very first episode I'm recording for season three. So naturally, technical difficulties. Uh, I haven't like I haven't done any recording or anything in about two months. So I was a little out of it this morning, but I appreciate you being here. Uh, If you could just for me, just. Uh, introduce yourself, uh, name, and, and where you work, and what your company is. Yeah, so my name is uh, Jimmy Silva. I own uh, John Cock Roasters out in the Miramar, Mira Mesa area. Awesome. But I wanted to learn more about you, Jimmy. Um, 
kind of what your first experience with coffee was and what it was that made you think that like, you know, this is kind of interesting. I'm into this. Yeah. So my first experience with coffee was really back in 2014 when uh, my wife actually opened up uh, the coffee cart called Morning Bird Coffee. She opened that in Mission Valley. And at the time, I was working uh, in digital marketing interning and actually got offered a job right when she opened the coffee cart. And then so there's a lot more flexibility with that type of work. You know, I can get it done whenever at home or go to the office. But it was, you know, I had a lot of flexibility. So I offered to help her out during the mornings to deal with the morning rush because she was there by herself. It was at an office park. So, of course, if you like can think of it, everyone's going in at the same time. Everyone takes breaks in the morning at the same time. So, like, big crowds are coming. She's trying to handle all that by herself. So I told her, like, well, I can come in and, and try to, like, at least work the register and bring people up. So I started doing that. And then I just started really enjoying uh, conversations with customers. Just a different interaction that I was having uh, that uh, felt a little bit well, it did feel more meaningful than me just sitting at a computer for 10 to 12 hours a day. <laughs> and I couldn't really like see myself five to 10, 15 years down the line, still sitting in front of a computer for 12 hours a day doing what I was doing. So they offered me the job and I told them, uh, I really want to do it. Thanks for the offer. But, you know, when I'm at the coffee cart with my wife working and working with coffee, I just I just feel a lot different. I can see myself doing that, but I can't see myself sitting in front of a computer and doing this type of work. So I did, I declined the offer and I just started working with my wife. So in that moment, when you're declining that offer, is there kind of a mix of excitement, but also fear that, you know, I'm about yeah. to start on this career and now I'm backing out of it? Starting in a career that I had no clue about that I just was interested in because I was bringing people up and talking to them, you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fear because I worked so hard to get to that point and get that offer. And then when I got the offer, something inside of me just like, you shouldn't go forward with it. And I worked so hard. Like, I worked full-time jobs, going to school full-time, doing internships in L.A. Oh, man, I worked so hard. And then at the end, like, I got the offer. <laughs> then, I, <laughs> then I was like, no, no thanks. I'm just going to... Work with my wife and coffee. See, you say that and you laugh about how crazy that is. I see, I hear that and I think, wow, that's pretty courageous because I think a lot of people would have looked at the work that they put in and said, no, I have to go down this path. I've already started it. And you took the, you know, you took the, the road less traveled, literally. Like you said, I know I did all the work, but something doesn't yeah, feel right. I had to because something inside of me, like a gut feeling was telling me that it wasn't right. So I had to go with that gut feeling. I couldn't just like, oh, you're going to do this because the status quo tells you to do this. You know, you're going to do your nine to five and get paid well and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. I don't want to like be 65 years old and look back on my life. It's like, oh, awesome. That's what you did. Yeah. You know, so I kind of have regrets. So at that moment, I just felt like the right thing to do. That's what I did. Yeah. So I don't mean to make to ask you to speak for her, but what was why did that cart come about, Morning Bird Coffee, in the first place? Uh, it came about because uh, my wife worked uh, at a little coffee stand in Pacific Beach because that's where we lived, called Cafe Veloce. 
and uh, one of the customers, one of their customers, uh, is was a property manager at an office building in Mission Valley, and she told Lacey that uh, their copy operator had stopped, and if she wanted the opportunity to maybe start her own copy cart business, so. Lacey was very reluctant and I kind of pushed her to do it. And yeah. And that's, that's how it started because if someone that drove by or drove up is like, Hey, I got this, this space. Do you want to go for it and try it with your own business? And she went for it and then I helped her. And that's how that that's came about. There's a lot of uh, right time, right place, just in general, I think in life, you know, if, yeah. if I hadn't met this person or had this experience, where would I be now? Yeah, and that's why I tell people a lot that college education is great. Um, getting your education, no matter what it is, uh, is fantastic. But if you have the skill of networking and creating relationships, if you're not going to school to be a doctor or a lawyer or a biochemist or whatever it may be, just take your time and see see where you're at in life and really network and get out there and connect with people or try to at least because that will open more doors for you than anything else. I've talked about on this show before about kind of my scattered employment past. And a lot of that comes from living in a lot of different places. Uh, I have a brother who did all of his networking and all of his school and everything all in the same place. And so in that community, he knows everybody, you know, he's the guy, right? He's, he's in real estate now and, uh, and he knows everyone. And I, on the other hand, you know, started traveling around and doing a bunch of different things. And while I don't necessarily have any one community unlock. I feel like I could kind of show up in any city in the country and know somebody who knows somebody who could get me going. And so it's really just two different paths that kind of the same concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and you traveled quite a bit too. I was kind of reading a little bit about you. Uh, traveled through Europe and Peru and Mexico and Colombia. Yeah. Uh, kind of at the beginning of your coffee career. How did that kind of traveling, how did that change your relationship with coffee? I think that was what made my relationship with coffee because we went to Peru in 2016 I believe in the spring and that year we just wanted to go somewhere for a little getaway or vacation whatnot and then I I found this coffee program right outside of uh, Cusco where you go you stay in this, her name is Tatiana, you uh, stay at her house and she had a coffee farm and a cacao farm and she was doing things with the women in the village and uh, doing co-ops and associations. So we um, stayed in Cusco for a little bit and then we took a train and uh, went and stayed with her at her house by, um, by a river in Cusco. Forgot the name of it, I think it's Calamayo. Um, anyway, she then we worked the field with her, and she told us about coffee and what they go through and how they help women in that little village with coffee and other products like bananas and, and chocolate and everything else. Um, so that's really what ignited my relationship with coffee by truly understanding how hard how difficult that most of these people that no one talks about, which are the farmers and even more so the pickers, no one speaks about pickers. Um, they just talk about the coffee farmers, what they're doing, but the people that do the truly hard work, 
I got to see what they go through and how hard it is and how much they make and their lifestyle. And it was, uh, it was humbling. And I got to learn a lot about what they go through. And it's like, it's, it's a, it's a sad reality for, for, for most. So yeah, that's what ignited my relationship with coffee. Um, and then the following year I went to Mexico and I worked with Samuel and he's is he's in the Veracruz and I went there for about a week and learned a lot about coffee as well and all of his experimental work on the farms and that really got me interested in the how intricate coffee can be and what like people like Samuel at the farm level are doing to bring out great flavors in coffee and then 2018 at the end of the year December we went to Colombia and I met um, other people in coffee and they told me about the reality of coffee. And that's when I was really awakened to what happens in the picker's life and how, how they're treated and things that aren't spoken about in the coffee world and that nobody's Instagramming about. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was a hard truth to, to understand and and, you know, you go to these places, you don't truly really understand their culture. In a, in a country like Colombia, where so much has has been happening and going on for I don't know how many years, and you hear all these stories with the military police and, you know, with drugs and all this stuff, and it's, 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 <laughs> it's crazy what happens. And I don't want to get, like, too into detail because... Some people that know me, if they hear this, they're like, oh, they're talking about me. So I'm not, I don't want to get into like, <laughs> details about it. But yeah, there's, there's crazy stuff up, like stuff that happens at ports. People are there holding up your coffee, not letting coffee get on the boats. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that happens that people just don't, don't realize. But all of that is what like, made my relationship with coffee what it is today. And I honestly can't see myself doing anything else. Yeah, and that's when I went back home to Portugal because that's where I'm from. And I went to like different places in Europe and went to different coffee roasters and spoke to a few and really learned about coffee and how they're doing things in Germany and in Denmark and the Czech Republic and all that. So, yeah, that's and that's also where the name John, John Coffee Roasters comes from, because all these trips that I did felt like trips of pleasure or trips for like adventure but were trips of pleasure for coffee. So John means taking a, t- a trip for pleasure. And that's that's why the name came about, John Coffee Roasters, because of all the trips I did. You mentioned that you don't feel like people are talking about kind of like that experience of being a picker or like the day laborer uh, type of person on a farm. And I was in my head, I was thinking like, I feel like I see thousands of photos a day of like Instagram influencers on farms. And it's like no farm I have ever seen. <laughs> like feels like those farms were created in a lab somewhere for that photograph but that's not reality that's not real life like i did not grow up a farm kid but i come from a farm family and my summer summer breaks i'd always get to spend two weeks working on the farm and my parents goal was i think just to get away from me for two weeks but also so i knew how much harder my life could be you know we'd pick rocks in the fields and we would do all that little grunt work that you, that, that we do and even that was probably relatively easy compared to what you're talking about here with some of these farmers. And and I certainly wasn't depending on it for my lifestyle, but uh, I think it's important to, to remind people. I mean, I spend enough time on social media and, and for the show and for other things. And 
that's also not reality. That's not real life. And when you're drinking your coffee, that picture of somebody, you know, on that perfectly, with that perfect field behind them or on that perfect thing, yeah. that's, that's yeah, probably yeah. not where that coffee came from. No, no. And, you know, people smiling next to trees and with, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, but like, what are you going to show? What are you going to, as a brand or a company, like, what are you going to show? Are you going to show like the reality of things that like people don't talk about? Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to want to, like, poke into that and get that conversation started? It's important to me that I think, at least, that I'm buying coffee or I'm buying products in general that have an ethical source. But I think as a consumer, I place a lot of that expectation on the business owners. You know, when if you say I'm ethically sourcing, I have to decide if I'm inclined to trust you or not. But if I right. do, I'm not necessarily following down the, the chain of what you do and... I'm actually drinking one of your coffees this morning, a Sumatra that I picked up. And so I wanted to ask you, how do you go about that? Having seen what you have seen or having experienced what you've experienced, how do you go about threading that needle between running a business, sourcing ethically, which I imagine costs more, and and also providing this product to your customer, knowing they may not understand where do you decide to, what level do you decide to say, hey, I, I need people to know how we're doing this, or is it not really matter to the end customer. It just matters to me that I'm doing it this way. That was a lot. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I think mostly from my end, it matters to me because I, I honestly don't, majority of the customers, I don't like, I don't feel like they truly care. Or if they do, they never ask me about it. People ask me where I source my coffee. Well, I, I much like you are willing to trust me that I'm ethically sourcing coffee, I too am trusting importers or other companies that they too are sourcing ethically so you got to do your research and you got to talk to them to know where that coffee is coming from because when i went to peru yeah i spoke to one farmer and he said the the, the co-op agreed like a co-op agreed to buy my coffee at this certain price they came they got the coffee and then they just give me way below what they told me and he's like, what am I supposed to do? So he just accepted the money that they offered, which was not what they told him up front. So then people start thinking, oh, this coffee's from a co-op, or this and that. It's like, you don't know if that co-op is actually really helping these farmers out as well. So it starts from origin, and it depends where you go. Things, I'm sure, and I've seen that are different in like Peru or Colombia or anywhere else. Um, it just depends on... Who's, who's in charge. But yeah, when I source, I, you know, like in Colombia, I have someone that I, I source from this middle person, but I know that he's at the farm level and he's working directly with these farmers. Uh, same thing when I was getting coffee from Samuel or you work with local importers that you know have that type of relationship or even importers aren't, aren't local, local, but they're here from California and you know that they've been out there in the field and they have relationships and they actually are doing things at the, at the farm level to help to help not only the farmer but help the thousands of small small farm holders that exist around around the, the the areas where the coffee is grown because it's not just one farmer it could be like fifteen hundred you know so that kind of leads me to a kind of a, a note that I made to myself just about fair trade and like organic and those kind of certifications uh, and the value of those which they do have value because I think they make people think about what they're buying. But there's also this other, the other part of it, which is those are expensive. Yeah. 
Yeah, they they are more expensive. Anything that's certified, you know, I can't I can't speak to that because I know other people have a lot more knowledge than I do about organic certification in the fair trade and all that. I can just speak about my experiences, but I know that you know getting coffee certified costs a lot of money for these farmers and whatnot, and and the through the coffee chain, all those expenses get passed on. Yeah, and reality is, these farmers they can't they can't afford these certifications or getting certifications. But at the same time, there's like I met so many of that they're like, we can't even afford the stuff to put in the in the dirt to to not make it organic. Yeah, like it's as organic <laughs> as it's gonna be. We can't afford we can't afford it anyway, even if we did want to buy it. That is that's actually your marketing guy. That that should be a marketing campaign. <laughs> you know it's organic because we can't afford the fertilizer. It's exactly. Good to go. Exactly. <laughs> we, <laughs> we buy a farm box, and I, I think when I started going down a path of learning more about my consumption, those titles were more important to me than they are now. Uh, the farm yeah. that we buy our farm box from now doesn't have uh, organic certification or anything, but I've actually talked to the farmer at the farmer's market, and we've kind of gone back and forth enough times that I trust him when he says, I do it that way, and this is why I don't have that certification. But again, there's that kind of human trust, which I think after the last year and a half, we've all had kind of moments of doubt in how much we trust you know, everyone. There seems to be a collective trust. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we love to, to label. We love to label things. We label people. We judge people by their work label. So, of course, we're going to judge packages and copies and companies by what labels they show not truly knowing what's behind all that you know mm-hmm. and, and you know that happens at a human level so imagine as a, at a product level how how people are going to use that to make certain judgments yeah i don't i don't really on my coffee i don't say it's organic nor do i try to play that card that it's organic uh but if someone's to ask me uh, i'll happily have that conversation yeah. At the right time. So you opened Jaunt uh, Coffee Roasters, and you opened at the Maker's Mart, where you are now? Yeah, Marilani Maker's District. I opened there, geez, I think it was 2016, at the end of 2016, that we got that space with the roaster. I was just lucky, honestly, to stumble upon a, a warehouse space that had a coffee roaster installed. Uh <laughs> So yeah, when the opportunity came, I just I was like, I guess this is meant to be. Yeah. So when I was there, or when I opened, there weren't that many businesses open there yet, but it's it's taken a life of its own, and a lot more businesses have opened it, and and also it's more retail now instead of just uh, manufacturing or like industrial looking or people just you know brewing beer. They also serve the beer there. Mm-hmm. We don't just roast coffee. We also serve coffee there. So. You know, there's a lot, there's sake, there's wine, there's even a sushi place there, there's ginger beer, uh, there's a ice cream place, I think there's a ube place now in the back of the building. Well, and I was there relatively early in the day, and I mean, it was out of the way, like, to get there. I mean, I had to kind of, to, oh, I mean, I had to go yeah. off the main road, it wasn't like easy to see, like. Even driving up to the building, you're kind of tucked back. And when I walked back there, I was kind of surprised at how many people were sitting outside having a coffee, working on their computer. And it was, it was clear that there was a community of people there. For the last year and a half, we've been in COVID. 
how has that impacted what you guys are doing there? I mean, that's a, a pretty big percentage of the time your business has been open, you know, almost 20% um, the last year and a half. Yeah. You know, our business actually took off when COVID happened. Really? Yeah. Because we stayed open. And I think we're one of the few that actually decided to stay open. But business did drop a little bit in the beginning. And it was only me and Christian working. At that time, I decided to like triple, quadruple down on marketing and branding uh, because I knew people were stuck at home. And what's one thing that they could do to make themselves feel normal? Go out and get a coffee at least. Mm-hmm. Even if it's to go wearing a mask, but at least I got to go outside of this house or this room, you know, took a little drive, got a coffee, said hello to the coffee guy and just make made people's life a little bit more normal, at least for that like hour or whatnot. So, yeah, we heavily invested in, in marketing and, and things really took off with the Mira Mesa community here. Did you notice a change in how people were purchasing their coffee as far as like just getting a cup of coffee to go? Was there more people buying, people more investing in coffee at home? I know that was something I did for sure was I went from one brewer to like four different types while I was trying to entertain myself and, you know, learn more things. Yeah. And also online orders uh, jumped a lot. Yeah. COVID made a big impact. It scared a lot of people for a good reason and yeah people were buying more bag and they were spending more too they were very generous they really wanted us to like stay afloat and help us out during this hard time people were buying gift cards and now some of them are finally redeeming them because (laughs) we're we're back on our feet yeah so so COVID for us as crazy as it sounds it really made our business take off and it really made us a lot closer to our community here in Mira Mesa, which is uh, amazing. You know, I did not expect that that type of support, especially since that's just been open for like a year and a half or, you know. Yeah. So, and for like six to eight months, I worked by myself at the shop, you know. I would go in at two or one in the morning, roast coffee, open the shop, work it, close it. You know, it was, it was hard. It was really hard in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I feel grateful and very humbled to the community here at Mary Mason. They really like, stepped up and helped us out. Oh, that's awesome. What about what's coming next? What's on deck for you guys? I mean, there is hope, I think, in the world that COVID will, if not go away, will continue to subside slowly to the point where maybe we don't notice it as much. It seems like it's, it's always there, but... Obviously, people are back out in the world doing coffee and doing other things. What's on deck for you guys and your business, say, in the next next year, next five years? What's the plan? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess just like any other business, we're, we're growing. But at the same time, you know, there, there are opportunities to expand and open another one or two locations. But we feel good where we're at right now, and we'll look at those possibilities when they when they come, and if it's a good fit. Um, because I, you know, I see a lot of people just opening and opening and opening, and it's like, well, one, I don't have that type of support. It's just myself. Um, I don't have like 
co-owners or investors or whatnot. Um, and that, and all that takes a lot of time and a lot of work and not to mention financial stress. And I have a family, I have a two year old baby girl and I have a wife and I want to spend time with them, you know, opening and opening more locations. It's great and all, but I'm pretty happy where we're at right now. You know, sometimes I just want time with my family. I don't, I don't like, I don't need to like continue to like, <laughs> I'm not trying to like be like the king of coffee or like have six, seven, eight locations and, and running the crazy coffee business and trying to make money in that business. You know, I have other priorities in my life that I like, I want to cherish, but if a good opportunity comes about, then yeah, of course I'll look into it. And if it's something that's worth trying, then yeah, those are conversations that we've had and that we've looked at. Yeah. I think it would be, it would be great because at some point you got to look at it at, at your company, your business, like, okay, so where do you go from here? And so you reach this spot. So do you keep going? Uh, what do you do? Like, otherwise you're just going to stay in the same, uh, where you're at now. And then what are you going to do from there? It's, it's hard. I feel like I'm kind of stuck in a spot where like, yeah, I could expand. It'd be great. And then it's like, Oh my God, I have like no time for my family. <laughs> and I would just feel like I'm starting over again. You know? Like the, that whole work that I put in to get to that job offer that I declined, it's like, that's what it feels like now. Like all this work I put in to be, have like a, a successful business and then just like start over again, you know, for another big investment and, and dealing with all the bureaucracy that comes with all that. Well, maybe there needs to be like a jaunt satellite shop in Portugal. You know how many times I thought about that? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like the idea. Like it's only open in the summers. You know, or whenever uh, is the, the the good season. Is there anything that I didn't cover today or that I didn't ask that you want people to know about about you about Jaunt? Um, no, I thought you know when I saw that question, I thought about it quite a bit. I was like, what do I want people to know about Jaunt that that we haven't spoken about or your questions haven't covered? And there's like, there's not really anything uh, that I can think of that like people should know about us. Then I'm going to ask you another question, which is, I saw on one of your uh, staff members, I think he was wearing a jaunt shirt, and on the back it said, uh, I think it said, please be my friend, or be my friend. Did that sound for <laughs> Did me? It? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> okay. I didn't know if that was like a company like slogan or something. No, no. No, that's not. It wasn't a jaunt shirt. I, I mean, don't know. We, I've, yeah, I've designed a few shirts that were going to come out in the, later this year, but None of them say, please be my friend. That stuck with me because I felt like I've been very locked down for about 18 months. So like those coffee uh, moments that you were mentioning, those were my moments. And I saw that shirt and I was like, that's how I feel all the time when I see strangers anywhere. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> just be my friend. Like, let's be friends now. Uh, last question I ask everybody is when you're out and about, if you're getting a coffee, it's not one of yours. What are uh, you ordering? You know, what are you going into a shop and getting for yourself? Uh, just black coffee. Yeah. Just whatever's on drip. <laughs> and, and a shot of espresso. That's it. You know, I feel like I've started asking that question, and it was because you kind of expect it to be, it's like, oh, these are coffee people. They're going to get something fancy or unique or whatever. And yeah. I think 99 out of 100 people have said, oh, just whatever black coffee's on drip. Where, yeah, it doesn't even have to be good. It's like <laughs> coffee. It's just like, yeah, it works. Uh, I'm not expecting like a 95 coffee coming out. It's like, if it's, it's solid, it's solid. Like, I don't know. No complaints for me. 
Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, uh, the very first show, and I'm glad we had some technical difficulties because I won't have any more the rest of the season. Awesome. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to trying your coffee again. Oh, perfect. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate this. A big thank you to Jimmy for joining me on the show today. And a big thank you to his wife, Lacey, for starting Morning Bird Coffee Cart. Who knows if Jaunt would even exist without it. And now we've got a two-part vocab session for you. The first word is parchment. Parchment is the thin skin covering a wet processed coffee bean after the coffee cherries have been skinned, had their pulp removed, and the remaining beans have dried. After all of that, the parchment is that thin layer of skin that is still left on the bean. And the second term, which goes right along with parchment, is hulling. That's H-U-L-L-I-N-G, which is just the removal of that coffee bean parchment just prior to sorting. Over the next few months, the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is going to be introducing you to an entirely new crop of coffee professionals, including roasters, shop owners, and more. Plus, our Coffee Smarter series is back with our resident coffee experts, Chris O'Brien, the founder and head roaster at Coffee Cycle Roasting, Siri Simran Kulsa, the executive director of coffee at Lofty Coffee, and a former guest turned coffee smarter expert, Jay Ruski of Fringe Coffee. Jay is a farmer first and foremost, and we're going to address the impacts of climate change on coffee growing both worldwide and domestically. But it is going to be Coffee Cycle Chris here for the next episode and our first Coffee Smarter segment this season. He's going to update on everything that's new going on with his roastery effort and talk about everyone's favorite fall coffee flavor, pumpkin spice. Without pumpkin spice, we wouldn't even know it was fall. As always, thank you for sharing this show with your friends. And be sure to support the Roast Industry Legacy Partners. You'll see some familiar names this season, including Moster Coffee. Be sure to check out the link in the newsletter to their Mosterland experience, Marea Coffee, Leap Coffee, our first ever sponsor, Zoom Bar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Roasting, Cafe La Terre, Cape Horn Coffee, Coffee Cycle, First Light Whiskey, Fringe Coffee, and Camp Coffee Company in Oceanside. I'm actually drinking a V60 pour-over out of my Camp Coffee mug this morning. It's green, and I love it. You'll find links to all of this show's Roast Industry Legacy Partners on the front of RoastWestCoast.com or in this episode's show notes wherever you are listening. If you've got coffee questions, please reach out through RoastWestCoast.com or on social media at RoastWestCoast on Instagram and the Facebook. And if you have not signed up for the newsletter, I honestly don't know what you're waiting for. You get all of these shows sent right to your email, along with more articles about coffee, photos, videos, vocabulary, and much more. Sign up at RoastWestCoast.com. That is the podcast today. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity or coffee to make it through the day. Please always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.